Welcome in to Locked On Knicks. This is the second part of our Green Room chat this week that we had with all of you on the Green Room app. A long one, as per usual, Gavin. We talked about so many great things, and I think this episode had a couple of our more intriguing topics in this uh, overall discussion. Yeah, we we get into a a great question from our guy Brent. Uh, Do the Knicks need to diversify the offense more next season? Basically, is there too much on Julius Randle, and does that have sort of a deteriorating effect on, on the rest of the team? Um, is it on Julius Randle or Tom Thibodeau? And then we go a completely different direction, though maybe kind of linked. Uh, top five point guards the Knicks can go after this offseason between the free agency and draft with costs. Being a factor, Alex and I both give our rankings. So all that and more right now on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. Here he comes right now. Starts without a five. Ewing for the win. Yes! Up, up, left. Now fires it. He's good! And he's fouled! Anthony for three. All right, welcome in to Locked On Knicks. Today's episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra at only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. Stay tuned for the Ultra Moment segment coming up later in the episode. I'm Alex Wolf. I am editor-in-chief of Nick's site, The Strickland, which you can find at thestrick.land. And he is Gavin Shaw, a resumed play-by-play man, calling all your favorite high school sports, but of course, also talking about the New York Knicks. And we do plenty of that today, so I won't hold it up anymore. Here's the second part of our green room chat with all of you. We got, wow, four speakers. First up is Brent Mashia, then again, David Almanor, Bryce Butler, and Jeff Phillips. But Brent, you're up first. What's up, man? Welcome to the show. And uh, how's it going? How you doing? Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, we got you. Yeah, like uh, pretty much my question, it's it slightly has to do with Julius Randall, but more of just the team identity and just uh, pretty much how the coaching is going to go in, going into next season. Because I'm kind of worried about Julius Randle, not in terms of, but not for the reason that other people are worried about, because people are saying because of the playoff performance, worried about, oh, the contract, stuff like that. I'm more, I'm more worried about Julius, because I want to give him the extension, but I think that coming off the playoffs and stuff like that, and the, the chatter he hears about what people said about his performance, I think that he'll come in the next season, not with the right mindset in terms of, how the team should develop. For example, like we saw this season, okay, we've seen that Julius Randle as the primary ball handler and just the folk, the engine of the offense, it can give you into the playoffs and get you a top four seed. It, it's good, but there's a limit to that, especially when it comes to playoff, playoff basketball. But I feel like going into the next season, he'll have a mindset of kind of doubling down instead of diversifying. And I don't know. I just want to know, like, what do y'all think about that? Do you think I'm just too worried about it or – He'll come into next season just more willing to play more of an off-ball role 
given uh, RJ Barrett's probably going to take a leap and stuff like that, or am I just worrying for no reason? I mean, I think I think that he showed a lot more of a willingness to share the ball with like RJ and and share responsibilities with other guys. Rose in particular, like he gave. I think a lot of trust too, as far as being the guy to bring the ball down the court and stuff like that. So I, I just think ultimately what happened in the playoffs was he just ran into a team that schemed for him perfectly. And like when you were the Knicks at that point, they just didn't, they didn't have anyone that was quite like ready to absorb the level of playmaking needed to keep the offense moving when Julius Randle was getting effectively taken out of the game. Um, So I, I don't know if I have too many concerns. Like, if you had asked me this, if if somehow say the Knicks had made the the bubble last year or something, and had made the the play in last year or whatever, and and you know, and then they didn't make it in, and you know, it, it was mostly because Julius was playing too selfish or whatever. Like I probably would have said, yeah, you know, in, in spite of Julius, they managed to make it to the play in round, you know, in the in the bubble, but. This year, the way that his approach changed and everything, and, I mean, he didn't just pay lip service to it. Um, he, like, actually made a lot of changes to how, I, at least to me, how he approached the game on and off the court as far as, like, trusting his teammates more, um, you know, f- feeling more comfortable moving the ball in certain situations. Like, we saw, I, I mean, to your point, I guess – he was the engine, like he was getting in there and he would get to the hoop and, you know, he might not, he actually didn't put up the best numbers as far as around the hoop and all that stuff, but he did a good job of kicking out to shooters on the perimeter and, you know, finding guys that were slashing to the hoop and things like that. I think that showed a certain level of trust in his teammates. You know, last year you wouldn't have seen that. Um, Or I guess now we say two years ago, you wouldn't have seen that in his first year with the Knicks where he was, you know, it was like Randall thought that he had to take the shot at all costs in a lot of situations because he just didn't seem to trust anybody else on the team. Um, RJ included and, um, you know, even Bullock to an extent and, you know, Portis and whoever else. I mean, no matter who he was on the floor with, he didn't seem to really have a level of trust with them except for Alfred Payton, oddly enough, who this year, I think like the rest of us, I think Randall sort of, finally got tired of Alfred Payton as well. And he didn't seem to have much of a uh, desire to include Elf in the offense the longer the year went on, but seemed really enthusiastic about getting like RJ involved, getting quickly involved, getting Bullock involved, especially. Um, I think there's always going to be certain guys that are going to be like security blanket types for him, like a Bullock. But um, I guess to your point, you know, what what you're trying to get at is like, should the Knicks be looking to, to put to empower other players more. And I would say yes, but you also need to have players that are good enough to be empowered, to absorb the level of, of playmaking and offense creation that Randall was doing this year. And I don't know if, I mean, other than maybe Rose at his best, which we saw Rose do that to some degree. um, I don't know if there was really, I mean, I, I want it to be RJ eventually, but RJ just, creating from a standstill at this point is not fantastic. I mean, he needs to get involved via actions, via things to get him open on the perimeter for his spot up shots, um, things to get him moving downhill. 
you know, like you need to give him, give him the ball on the perimeter, but with the screen already set so that he yeah. can, you know, have some, have something to assist him getting to the hoop or whatever. He, you can't just hand it to him. Like Randall used to get it on the perimeter in a one-on-one situation and expect him to create something for others out of it. Um, yeah, just cause he, he's just not quite there yet, but you know, he's 21 years old, just turned. So, um, but yeah, you go ahead, go ahead, Brent. What were you going to say? Oh, I'm just saying that was just one of my problems. Cause again, it's not, my critique is not really as much on Randall. It's mainly of just, I guess more of just with Tibbs and just the way Tibbs teams traditionally have run the offense. And yeah. again, Tibbs has proven me wrong a lot this season in terms of his ability to adjust. But he's also proven us slightly right in terms of his stubbornness. But I just feel, especially watching these finals, like, and uh, listen, I listened to the, was it Rice to Ricky Sanchez people about the Sixers, and they were talking about the main flaw that they have that we had too in the playoffs is the fact that they didn't have people that they can run sets, and when they run sets, it's fine. But they don't have enough players that are smart enough with the ball in terms of making a decision, not necessarily being playmakers, but just, hey, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And we see a lot of that when it comes to the Suns and how they're just, even outside of Chris Paul and Devin Booker, they can just do stuff. Everybody can do stuff or knows what to do. It's not slow and plotting like how our offense was throughout a chunk of the season. And I just... With Julius being the head that he is and RJ being taking a step as maybe a secondary playmaker, I'm still not confident in just the team's ability to not just empower everybody, but just create a team where everybody can function without one or two guys on the floor. I think it's a great point, Brent. Um, I mean, these you watch the Suns and there's, I mean, there's there's a cascading effect. It's almost like exponential growth when, when you pass it to the next guy like like Chris Paul or Devin Booker breaks down a defense but then whoever they're kicking it out to whether it's Bridges whether it's Cam Johnson whether it's Jay Crowder campaign Dario Saric when he when he's healthy like the next guy can always make the right decision and and, and can shoot or can dribble or can pass and, and the Knicks I mean that's we, we talked about it when we had Macri on they're really lacking in that capacity like I, I was just talking about a Frank could play for for one of those teams but you just look at the next perimeter guys like who would who would really be playing like maybe maybe burks probably rose probably rj but that's that's pretty much it and, and the knicks just need more guys in in those spots and and i i think that is part of the inherent issue with randall and it, it's it's why he needs help but for a different reason because as the year went on it felt like he started to get, at least in my mind, I know a lot of people push back on this idea. I, I thought he was getting a little bit fatigued. And because of that, he had games where he was he was so perimeter-based. And he, he kind of, and, and he got good enough as a three-point shooter and, and as a passer and, and getting to the foul line occasionally that the Knicks could survive with that. And that's that's to his credit. But he sort of lost what like originally made him a really good scorer. And that was just like this this bully ball mentality. And the, the issue with, with him taking like, like a high diet of his shots being step back threes and, and, and things is those orange shots that, that really lead to, or, or at least creation opportunities that lead to chances for other guys on the floor to find success. And when Randall's bullying his way to the rim to Alex's point, that's when you would see those, those kickouts to Reggie, those, those kickouts to RJ. And it's, it's inherently, it's an easier, less taxing way to play. And if you're Julius Randall and you're playing 42 minutes a night and you're being asked to do everything for a team, inevitably you're going to go towards the easier way to play. But if the Knicks ha- have better players, and to your point, more guys who can handle the ball, more guys who can 
make decisions. I mean, it's not just physical fatigue, it's mental fatigue for someone like Randall. That was the first time in his NBA career where everything was on him. And, and it was kind of like, all right, time in and time out. You have to be the one making these choices. Our, our offense rises and falls with you every single possession you're on the court. That's a lot for anyone, particularly someone who hasn't been doing it for a long time. And, and we, we sort of saw like the wheels fall off in the playoffs. And it, it was because he finally ran into the the right defense with the right scheme with, with, with the right amount of repetition, seeing him over and over and over again, locked in with that added intensity, of the playoffs. And, and he was probably at his peak exhaustion at that point, And it just sort of became too much for him. And we, we saw him fall apart. So I, I think if the Knicks do not want a repeat experience of that, to your point, Brent, um, they need, they need better players around him, or, or at least guys more willing to take on a creation load. Even, even if they have to sacrifice some defense to do so, All right, guys, it's that time again. As always, it was a tough choice for me to pick this week's ultra moment, but it has to be, I'm not not even going to limit it to one. You know what, it was more recent, I guess. So I'll say game two of the um, Suns-Bucks series. And watching Phoenix last night was was a masterclass. Milwaukee was playing incredible defense on my son, swarming all over Giannis, Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, some of the best defenders on planet Earth. But it didn't matter because this Phoenix team is so connected and they play with so much joy and their, their ability to just swing, swing, swing and, and, and continue to make the next pass, continue to execute when they actually have open shots. It, it, it just feels like a special group. And it's one that after uh, nine to 10 years of suffering or, or even, even longer in my Knicks fandom, but just as a Suns fan, um, it's brought me so much happiness, so much enjoyment. Um, so all, all I've left to say is go check out tons of other exciting ultra moments with hashtag ultra moment. And you got to remember, it's only worth it if you enjoy it. And at only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, Michelob Ultra is extremely easy to enjoy. I, I think the Suns are the embodiment of the phrase that joy creates success. You, you just saw Mikhail Bridges smiling after being a part of those sequences. And I think it continued to fuel that kind of passing and the energy that was in the basketball. So you got to remember, enjoyment isn't the end game. It's the whole game. Today on Road to the Finals, our NBA playoffs coverage is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. And at 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, we can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season. I was going to just throw out one uh, one little like comparison, and then, Brent, I'll throw it to you just for, for any final thoughts you might have on the matter before we move move along to the next, uh, next request. But uh, So you had mentioned the Suns and you know how they just do stuff, right? I think what we saw with the Knicks this year, I, d- I don't think comparing the Knicks to this year's Suns is the right move. I think comparing the Knicks to last year's Suns might be a better way to sort of gauge things. And of course it's on, as you said, it's on tips to figure out how to get these guys more comfortable and have them know what their spots are supposed to be more next year. And hopefully some roster continuity will, will yield that, you know, there's, you assume Rose is going to be back. You assume, you know, Randall, RJ quickly, Obi will be back. I think there's probably a decent enough chance that, uh, Taj Gibson comes back. Mitchell Robinson should be back and hopefully healthy. Um, you know, and I, w- I think at this, if you gun to my head, I would probably say, I think Reggie Bullock will be back as well. Um, Burks maybe a little more up in the air, but like a lot of pretty key players should be back next year. And so I think comparing this year's Knicks to last year's sons is kind of 
the better comparison, right? Because the Suns last year played well enough to get into the bubble. They get there, they go eight and zero. They didn't make the playoffs ultimately because you know they just it, it was too much of an uphill battle for them to get that playoff spot, regardless. But they did manage to at least sort of put the league on notice of like, hey, we're an up and coming young team, and we have Devin Booker, who's a star, and you know he's a guy that could potentially lead a team somewhere significant at some point. Um, you know, after just going eight and zero against a bunch of playoff teams, and you know you, you then kind of translate that to the Knicks this year. And that's sort of the case. Like Randall sort of had his Booker last year moment. Granted they're, you know, Randall's actually a little older than Booker, but the comparison remains like, you know, he sort of had his breakout season. The Knicks put the league on notice this year. They did some good stuff, but ultimately weren't good enough to get too far. But now it's on them to sort of build on that next year. The foundation's been laid down by a good coach, by a good stable coach and Tibbs just like it was by Monty Williams last year for the Suns. So now, you know, even if the Knicks don't get a Chris Paul, maybe they maybe they do go after a Kyle Lowry. Maybe they go after a Mike Conley or someone like that. And you just start adding, you know, some pieces that can that can help take some of the burden off of Julius Randle and also at the same time help empower some of the younger players by being like an unselfish player. And I just, I really think Lowry would be a totally perfect fit in that regard. And then maybe you're looking at a team that can, you know, actually make some noise next year. And maybe, maybe they don't make quite as stark of a, you know, a leap as the Suns have where they go from, I mean, they couldn't possibly because the Suns went from barely out of the playoffs last year to uh, in the finals this year and probably the favorites to win it all. Um, you know, I wouldn't expect them to make that big of a leap, but maybe next year, you know, they hold steady at that four or five seed and they actually make it out of the first round. And, you know, maybe they get knocked in the second round, but they still get there, you know, and that just kind of builds for the next year. And you start seeing more and more that the continuity of the team, you know, gives them the, the, uh, I guess the, the firepower that they need and the stability that they need along with some talent upgrades to eventually, uh, make it further into the playoffs and, and develop like that. So that would be that would be my comparison that I would make. And it's still TBD then, but you know, I do think that I think you can still have Randall be a focal point of the team and get further than you did this year, as long as you build out a, a good support system around him. And maybe someone like Kyle Lowry would be that, you know, someone that can handle the ball or can be comfortable without the ball. We sort of saw the same thing with Derrick Rose this year. Um, if you could have those guys as your platoon at the point guard, plus Randall at the the forward spot, RJ Barrett out there to do some playmaking too, I, I think you'd be in a much better position next year than this year. And also, I mean, not giving Alfred Payton an entire season of starting a point guard, which inevitably just kind of put the Knicks up a really like weird creek at the at, during the middle of the playoffs when – you know, they hadn't had to adjust to anything other than Alfred Payton starting all year. You know, it, it, hopefully having a better roster around Randall and maybe not being afraid to take a few chances during the regular season at the expense of some regular season wins might help, um, you know, and set them up better for next year's playoffs. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think it just, again, I'm probably just overthinking things a little bit, but I think just the underlying uh idea is just pretty much the same of just 
I think we're not win now. We're still a uh, improving team or whatever. Same thing as the Suns were. But I just think it's the important thing to have a or just create a function or a team that just can do things. Not only a bunch of guys that can do things, but just can do things multiple ways. And again, this season was a very good surprise. It was really great. But again, it showed the flaws of, of a team that can only win a certain type of way. Like we saw with the real slug it out. We make enough threes. Hopefully we hold, we play enough defense. And again, that's great. But again, if we just want to take the next level, it's all about creating a team that can just function in as many different ways as possible. And again, it's, it's really early, but so far that's just something that I feel like the team should focus both in terms of the personnel and just in terms of how the personnel is used next season. Yeah, I think, I think that's, that's a great uh, closing point, Brent. All right. Re- really appreciate it, man. And we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll catch you next week, I guess. All right. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. All right, we're going to take our second break. This episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. I mean, how could they? It's that tiny little store, and there's like literally thousands of different cars that could potentially have parts that people would need to get. And why would you want to endure the often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer choosing only the brand that their warehouse cap happens to carry or that will make them the most money. You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. You could save time and money when you're using rockauto.com. Why would you choose to spend 30%, 50%, or even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or car dealership when you could buy them off rockauto.com and get them delivered right to your door without the hassle of having to make a trip to the store? On top of it, rockauto.com is a family business. They've been serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years with their online-based store, and their prices are reliably low for every customer, not just for mechanics and you know professionals in the field. You, as a home mechanic, can get the same price that anyone else is going to get. And I can tell you, they are staggeringly low. You can get brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet for your car. You could be like me and get a gas cap for your car and save half of what it would have even cost on Amazon to get it. So if you want to get it or get anything for your car, go to rockauto.com right now and check out everything they have available for your car or truck. And if you decide to pick something up right locked on in their, how did you hear about us box? So they know we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com. Next up, we got, again, four speakers on the docket, but first is David Almanor, who's waited patiently. David, what's up, man? How's it going? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to keep my question really short, and I thank you guys for having me on again. Um, for the most part, I saw this question on uh, Knicks Fan TV, and I wanted to hear your takes on this. Uh, who are your top five point guards that you think the Knicks can uh, get this, season, this offseason? So, so I just want to hear from you both. I want to hear both is, of your takes. Is this uh, is this accounting for draft and free agency? Yeah. Like just period? Uh, uh, no, free agency or trade. Uh, and, you know, and is it realistic or – Yeah, realistic. Or, okay. Proven, proven commodities. And are we – okay, sorry, not to, not to add all these different qualifiers for the exercise, but are we considering the cost to get them as, yes. far, as, yeah. as far as how that affects our view of like how high we would rank them? Yeah, all that and uh, how it affects like uh, like our future bench and you know all that other okay. stuff. Okay, because that actually, for me at least, I won't speak for God, but for me that that 
moves like uh, like Lillard down the line quite a bit because I'm just really not sold that now is the right time to make that level of move. Um, for I mean, I would love to have a player of his caliber. Obviously, if this is all in a vacuum, Lillard is number one on the list. But given the cost to acquire him, I don't think that that's someone that I would be super uh, interested in getting. I would say if I was going to rank them, just this is mostly off the dome. I didn't I didn't do like pre research for this or anything, but I would say Lowry's still number one for me because I think he's very talented. Uh, he still has I think a lot left in the tank. Similar to Chris Paul, I think he has a game that's going to age really gracefully because he's not super reliant on athleticism or like burst, you know, to to generate his offense and help generate offense for others, like. He's a really good spot-up shooter in addition to being able to break guys down just with craft off the dribble. Um, really good defender, even if he's a tiny bit undersized, but like has always been really tenacious on D. I, I think that he's a guy that I would definitely target, even if it takes a pretty high price tag, you know, dollars and cents-wise. At some point, like you got to just be okay with spending some cap space. And the reality is if you sign Kyle Lowry, let's say like a, like a three-year $90 million contract or something, I think Chris Paul has proven that nobody's ever truly untradeable. Um, and as long as the guy continues playing well, you can you can get assets for him down the line. So Lowry would be my number one because he literally, all that he costs is money. Um, number two, it starts getting a little trickier. I think it would probably still be established in the league, guys, for me. Um, I would probably look, I, I guess it's sort of like a what-do-you-prefer sort of situation, but... Um, I like Mike Conley if they're going for experience. Um, you know, that's that's definitely a guy that I would look at as far as someone that probably wouldn't cost a terribly huge amount either, uh, which is good. So, I mean, that's, that's always a plus as well. Um, I would say if I was looking more at kind of like youth as part of it, then maybe campaign, I think, from the Suns, who obviously we're seeing break out in such a huge way. Uh, like props to Monty Williams for essentially like pulling his his career off the scrap heap and uh, putting him in the position that he's in now to be as successful as he is. Uh, I would so I would rank him pretty high. Chris Paul. I mean, I, I guess maybe I should amend it to say if I could get Chris Paul, he might even go ahead of Kyle Lowry. I'm just starting to think. I mean, it seems pretty likely he's probably going to win a championship this year with the Suns and. I just don't really see a situation where he's going to leave there, even with the Leon Rose connection and his comments about MSG and all this other stuff. I just don't really think that's going to happen. So I'm kind of moving him down the list and even out of the rankings just because I think that's sort of a pipe dream at this point. Um, Once you get beyond that, like Derek Rose, I mean, I think one of the better options is right under our nose here. So I would definitely look to re-sign Derek Rose. And that brings me out to four on my list. Um, Beyond that, I guess I would just say that's where I would put the draft guys. Uh, I would say Sharif Cooper, as far as a realistic target at pick 19, might be there. Uh, if you can't get him, you know, health pending, maybe you look at Jared Butler. Um, if you could trade up, I think I've made my love for Josh Giddy pretty apparent. So, you know, if you can move up and get Giddy and not give up a ton, like maybe it's, say, pick 19 and 32 to move up to, like, pick 14 or 15 or something like that. 
you know, just pay that little premium to move up like four or five spots and take Giddy. He's a guy I'd feel pretty good about going after, even if he doesn't end up a pure point guard, even if he's just kind of like a, like, ends up sort of like what Lonzo Ball is now. You know, I think that that's a pretty valuable player that you'd have on a rookie contract um, and could be, you know, a really good, like, maybe if not a full-on initiator, like at least a connector that makes good passes and shoots the three uh, from a stationary position and stuff like that. So that's that's someone I would look at as well. Uh, sleeper candidate, I guess, I, I would throw out uh, Reggie Jackson, potentially, as like a sleeper candidate out there. Uh, you know, as, uh, he's had a really, or he had a really good postseason with the Clippers, but I get the feeling that he might maybe either want to stick with the Clippers or go to a different situation where he wouldn't maybe be platooning with a guy like Rose uh, and have, you know, more of a, a starring role or at least a secure starting role. And then Devonte Graham is another guy that I would keep my eye on this off season, just because I think Charlotte, depending on what they do uh, in the draft and who they take there. And then, um, you know, just that, that whole situation, they might, they might want to, you know, let Graham go and kind of put more power into the the Lamelo Ball and and Terry Rozier backcourt and invest in that. So, of course, you can always keep Graham, you know, and bring him off the bench, but that might not be a preferable situation for Graham. He might want to try to move to somewhere where he can be a starter, and I think he could probably be a starter on the Knicks and give them a really credible shooting threat at the one. So Gavin, I think I've, I've rambled long enough to I'll throw it to you for your top five here. Yeah. Did you guys know, because I just Googled this, because I was going to say like, in my mind, I was like going to put Reggie Jackson super high. And I'm like, yeah, he's, he has to, he's still like 27. And I looked at his, he's 31, which is insane. Yeah. Yeah. He I, finally I, aged at a certain point. It finally, finally hit him. He was 25 until last year. And then just, it's like, all... I was looking at the list too. And like Lou Williams is a guy that I would maybe potentially throw a little bit of money at, you know, just as a off the bench guy. But I mean, he's now like 35 years old too, which it just doesn't, it seems like he was perpetually like 27 years old for about eight straight years. So yeah, it's, it's, it's insane. I just got an emergency weather warning on my phone. So for everyone, uh, in the New York city area, be, 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 be aware if you're listening outside. Um, I've got it happening right outside my door in New Jersey right now. So. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yes, it's, it's, it's coming over to us. Um, anywho, uh, yeah, my, my top five is very similar. Kyle Lowry, clear-cut number one for me, um, just because he, he is a year or two younger than Chris, if I'm remembering correctly, and I think you get him at a more reasonable contract than you would Chris, hypothetically. And, and just a picture-perfect fit, I, I think, with any team. One of the most malleable players in the NBA, even into his mid-30s, with his shooting ability, passing ability, it can, can run an offense, can play off the ball, can guard anyone. One of the five to ten smartest players in the NBA, just basically everything you want in, in a point guard. A picture-perfect fit for the Knicks. Uh, number two, yeah, I would, I, I would, I would say Chris um, pretty, pretty clearly. Um, to your point, Alex, not incredibly realistic, but um, we've seen him transform, what is it, the last four teams he's on. He took the Clippers from from mediocre to really, really good, took the Rockets from good to legitimately all-time great, and people would recognize that if it were not for those Warriors teams. Uh, then he took Oklahoma City, a, a team that by, by all accounts should have been the worst team in the NBA that season, or one of the couple worst teams in the NBA without him, to the brink of making the second round. And then, of course, he takes the Suns from 10 years out of the playoffs to uh, potentially winning 
an NBA Finals. And I, I, I am not going to be the one to doubt him, even even if he is slowing down in, in certain capacities. He, he's an absolute basketball genius who's shown the ability to adjust and still dominate the game on the highest possible level. So he, he, he is he's a clear-cut second for me. Again, even if that's a bit of a long shot, and, and you'd probably have to swallow something like paying him $30 million when he's 39 years old. But I, I, I would do that because he's, he's that good, and I think he could, he could still transform the Knicks next season. Um, so Chris is second. Conley, pretty clear-cut third, made his first all-star team this year. High-level shooter, high-level passer, brings a lot of the same stuff as Lowry and, and Chris, but comes with a bit more of an injury history. And he's just, he's not quite, I, I, I don't think he, 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 he could do it when he was younger, but the last couple of years, I think there's been enough of a drop-off there, or at least we haven't seen him raise his game at the highest levels, which we saw Lowry do in the bubble where he was, he was the best player in that series against the Celtics on either team, I would say. And then we saw Chris do this year throughout the postseason for the Suns. I'm not sure, even, even though Conley is a couple of years younger than those guys, and maybe I'll be proven wrong, I, I don't know if he quite has that gear in him anymore. So that's why he's he's a notch below them for me. Um, and then after Conley, I, I think it's there's a couple of guys I'm looking. I'm looking at Lonzo. I'm looking at Derek Rose. I'm looking at Goran Dragic. I'm looking at Spencer Dinwiddie. I, I think I would probably put Rose there for continuity, but but Dinwiddie really, really intrigues me. He's still 28 years old, so four years younger than Rose. Um, the, the question with Dinwiddie is he's a guy who likes to shoot a lot of threes, likes to shoot a lot of them off the dribble, has never been exceptionally efficient on those shots. I was hovering right around like 33, 34% from three, while Rose turned himself into a 40% three-point shooter last year. And, and to me, that, uh, that combined with him being uh, the single most accurate uh, floater shooter, along with Trey Young, in NBA history, that, that pretty much transformed him into a completely different player than he's been since the injury started for him in Chicago. Do we think Rose has another season like that in him? I don't know. I wouldn't really bank on it, and especially considering, I mean, David, I think this was baked into your question, like the fact that, that Rose reasonably after last year could ask for multiple years on the contract. I honestly, even though even coming off a torn ACL, I think I would rather bet on Spencer Dinwiddie at age 28 over Derrick Rose, even though Rose... Last season, you, you could argue, was at least as good as Dinwiddie's been at any point in his career. Um, I would I would ever so slightly lean Dinwiddie and then probably Rose at five, just because he, even though Lonzo is obviously like like nine, ten years younger, you, you're just you're, you're getting Rose presumably for a lot less money, a lot lower of a commitment. And, and, and Lonzo, to me, I think he's an excellent complimentary piece or, or, or finishing piece on a great team. I think if you're the Knicks and you're looking for someone to be your third option or, or second option, depending on if R.J. Barrett or Emmanuel quickly can make a leap, um, I, I just I don't think I don't think Lonzo is ever going to be that guy. So that's that, that's my top five. Uh, but David, any, any, any thoughts? Any any grades on mine and Alex's top five? Uh, how do you feel about it? Oh no, no, you guys are good. Uh, you guys are pretty similar, so uh, there's nothing more for me yeah, to say. Right, thanks a lot. All right, cool. Appreciate it, David. Uh, well, I'm, I'm sure we'll have you back next week. Thanks for always being so reliable. All right, guys, that's it for this one, but really appreciate you joining us as always. And if you're enjoying these Fan Fridays on Green Room, well, we got a part three for you. Uh, we talk how legit is the Luca Vildoza hype? Can he be an option at point guard or is he more of a combo guard playing off the ball? And then we, we ask a, a crucial question. Are Knicks fans unrealistic about how much ammo there is to upgrade the team? 
Um, and, and should we be a little bit more measured in how we're going to approach this rebuild? And finally, we talk about the feasibility of Reggie Jackson as a point guard target. I, I pull out a pretty cool stat on him. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a whole lot of fun. So tune in next time on Green Room for that conversation. Until then, be good. Peace out.